Ladies and gentlemen, people everywhere, leaders and non-leaders alike, welcome and thank you for joining. This is the Rooted Leadership Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Panetta. As always, we are in studio downtown in Salem, Oregon. Salem is home to Groundwork and Leadership Institute. The goal of this institute is really simple. We wanted to raise the tide of leaders in our community. We believe in building leaders from the ground up, and we know that leaders are important not only to organizational success, but they're so incredibly important to a community's success. And we're in a time right now where communities coming together and leadership within those communities are vital, absolutely vital. Uh, We don't have to go very far to get on your phone and scroll through social media or listen to the news to understand that not only does our world need better leaders, but our specific communities need better leaders. And we have great leaders in our community right now. We know many of them, but we wanted to be intentional in consistently taking part in creating and identifying who those leaders are for many years to come. So we started this institute and that's our that's our goal. Uh, build leaders from the ground up, give them what they need, support them. We don't ever claim to be the experts in leadership, but we feel like as a community that we have the proper expertise to help leaders grow and become the leaders that our community needs them to be. We truly believe in being an institute. Therefore, we're always gathering as much information and knowledge as possible. So starting a podcast was a no-brainer to us. If we want to keep contributing to this institute of knowledge, then we need to, we need to learn from as many leaders as we can. And having a podcast and getting as many leaders through these episodes and asking them questions and learning from their failures and their successes no-brainer. Hence, we're here today. So we have someone very special in guest. I say that about most of our guests, if not all of them, because all of them are special. But this individual uh, left a lasting impact on me from the first time that I met him and has continued to do so throughout our interactions. And so we're going to get him in studio and we'll continue from there. But thank you again for joining. Hope you enjoy today's episode. All right. So we have Chris uh, here with us in studio. Now, Chris, before you you joined us, um, I said some nice things about you, and I like I like to do this in most of our episodes. I I I introduce the guests before I have them in because I get to say things that are a lot easier to say with them out of the room. Uh-huh. Any really nice things about them, but, <laughs> but uh, you know, I mentioned the first time that um, I met you, uh, you left an impression on me, uh, and and ever since then, that in that impression of a positive nature has continued to to uh, grow, and, and I and I appreciate the friendship that we've been mm-hmm. able to yeah. to build. Um, but you know, you do you do quite a bit in our in our community, especially within our school district, mm-hmm. um, and you you touch a lot of lives. and And so I, I want to allow you to introduce yourself further. But I'll 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 start with this, and I, I think I've told you this before, but it was a compliment I received one time. I took it as a compliment, <laughs> probably one of my greatest compliments. I was uh, doing a training in the uh, uh, for the school district, and I, I can't remember for what reason, but I was doing a training, and, and after, uh, a lady came up to me, and she said, do you know Chris Moore? And I said, <laughs> of course I know Chris Moore. He's awesome. She said, well, you remind me a lot of him. Oh, <laughs> and man. I walked away, and I was like, oh, man, that's probably, that's probably the best compliment I've ever received. Oh, so. man, yeah. So uh, with that, I mean, go ahead and, and introduce yourself a little bit more for our listeners, who you are, what you do, um, why you do it. I mean, 
Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you, Chris. And, and uh, I'm grateful to share the same name with you and and really want to um, just express my gratitude for the work you do in the community as well. And when we think about weaving together some of the frayed fabric, some of the frayed social fabric in our community, uh, it's it's never one person, but, you know, rather that collection of individuals um, leading with their heart, showing up, uh, being humble servants, so to speak. And that's been, you know, what I've seen from you every single time. Um, you've, you've met with a group or facilitated a group or led a training or, uh, or taught me. And so I want to thank you for that too, because, um, sometimes this work of, of, of leadership or of healing or of teaching, um, can be a little isolating and, and lonely. Um, but you know, when you get into the, the space of other people's suffering and, and aspirations, um, it, it, it can, you know, sometimes drain the battery a little bit. And when you think about the effort you put into every day and the importance of hope, knowing that there are other fellow travelers out there, uh, you know, carrying that torch and really seeing people for people, um, seeing potential and putting time and energy and heart into lifting others up uh, is is a true gift and, and it's inspirational to me too. So I, I thank you for doing this work in the community too. Yeah. Well, back at you. Every time um, I've been able to hear you speak or present, um, you know, and and in in my profession, I guess I hear I hear a lot of you know pre- presentations and and uh, and by default I kind of go into a, an 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 analyzing mode of you know trying to analyze them or or, or critique them, but I never get into that with you because I'm so <laughs> engulfed in whatever it is you're saying. I just am thinking like, oh my gosh, that's a great insight. I'm mm-hmm. taking mental notes, so um, I appreciate you saying that. I sure yeah. I feel the same yeah. about you. But mm-hmm. tell us. Uh, you know, tell us what got you where you're at. Yeah. Well, it, it, and and what I mean by that sure. is you are you're a school psychologist right. in our district, which is yeah. you know second largest district in the state. That's a big job. Yeah. Um, and so it's not just one school; it's many. It's like an it entire is. you know district, and then mm-hmm. you have a really big and heavy job. But yeah. tell us, I mean, tell us what got you got you here. Yeah. Well, that's a, a that's a long winding journey. Um, to be sure. Uh, if, if, if we would have had a conversation say, you know, 30 years ago in high school, uh, I would never would have guessed that this is where I might've landed. Um, and some really pivotal, uh, junctures in my own family, uh, and some experiences that really helped me get outside of my own box. Um, I think was the essence of where my journey towards, you know, being a psychologist, being a teacher. Um, being, trying, you know, and fa- failing and failing again and failing better at being a humble servant, mm-hmm. um, started. And, you know, when, uh, people cross your path, uh, like a mentor did for me and uh, a family counselor did and truly saw me for who I was, uh, and gave me an opportunity to see myself in a different way. Yeah. Um, you know, it, with a family um, you know, with a father who cast a, a long and bold, but courageous and, um, high achieving shadow in the family. Mm. Uh, I, I, I never really thought that I could match that. And I said, how, how can he, he can be the coach and he can be the dad and he can be the business owner and he can do all this outreach and he can, he never seems to make mistakes and he always knows, you know, where to point the car and how to yeah. get to the right place. Uh, 
And so I think I saw myself trying to align with that ideal and then looking at the broader culture and seeing, well, well, I need to get the four point and I need to go to school and I need to stack up all these items on my, on my resume. And if I don't do all those things, then, then I'm a failure. Mm. Uh, and so, you, you know, circling back around to that opportunity that one single person can change the trajectory of your life by seeing you for who you are, yeah. showing you some possibilities, expanding your perspective on what those possibilities might be. And then like walking with you uh, along that journey, kind of gazing out upon, you know, the possibilities and saying, hmm, I, I wonder about this or have you thought about uh, so you know, I, I thought I wanted to be in, in just, I want to go into counseling because that's was the, who had the biggest influence at me at that juncture was, was a therapist, um, you know, with doing some great work in our family and some healing that was really important for us. Um, so that, and I thought I would do private practice. And then, uh, what I found is after my first job after undergraduate was working in residential psychiatric care with adolescents. And that was my first kind of big professional leadership role. Mm -hmm. Um, I tried to follow all the, all the right formulas associated with leadership and read all the right books. Um, and had an opportunity to work with a team to turn around a, a, a unit, um, a girl's unit that had been through multiple supervisors in a six month time period. Wow. And, uh, and this is, these are some amazing people who put their hearts and souls into the work. And together, you know, we were able to kind of bring some safety and stability and some healing to these, these young, young women's lives. Uh, but it came at a cost. And that cost was burnout. Um, that cost was questioning, you know, my own skills and my own career and life path. Um, and so I diverged from there and thought law was where I wanted to go or Peace Corps. Um, and got, you know, serendipitously stumbled into an opportunity, you know, in the interim between law school and where I was at that, at that particular juncture after I burned out of that job um, and had the opportunity to develop a, a, an education program for, for kids in, in, in treatment foster care. And that, that kind of blended that, that marriage of sense and soul around teaching and healing and the art of just connecting at a human level. Um, and launched me into that, that path of school psychology, bringing education and psychology together um, to land me here in Salem, Oregon, uh, 16 years ago. So it was, it was that uh, program that, that you created that kind of pu pulled you in, like last straw kind of thing that really got you to, to, to get to do what you're doing in right now? Yeah, I, I would say so. And and if you talk to my to my family, they would say it saved me from going, you know, becoming an attorney. You know, <laughs> and I have good buddies who are attorneys and and God bless them and they do important work, but that wouldn't have been a good fit for me. Um yeah. it wouldn't have been an authentic expression of who I was. And uh so you know, I think it that particular program, um, you know, that that I co-led, and again, I think that co-leading is an important feature there was really about creating and having a level of autonomy and relatedness and, and an opportunity to, to improve and get better at meeting kids where they're at and meeting their families where they're at really helped me see the possibilities associated with it and then drove me to want to work within the public sector because that was yeah. a nonprofit in a big systems. I, you know, it's easy for people to lob criticisms about a systems that don't work or their inefficiencies or what people are doing or not doing. But yeah, I think you really have to walk with people and 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 spend time in the space that they struggle in and su and succeed in yeah. to help 
affect some change. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, I really like this. There's a, there's a lot here, you know, from from what you're talking about, you know, mentors or influential people in in your life that kind of change trajectory. And then there's these, you know, moments, and I think most of us have them in life where, you know, everything changes for us and, and it puts us on a path uh, that leads us to where we're at. Um, I think both are are really important to 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 be in tune with and, and identify. I think it's really important to know who those people are in our life, um, and then to to appreciate and 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 be able to to point back to those moments that put us on on a certain path, you know, and just a few episodes ago, I had a former teammate, um, that I played with in college, uh, on Colby Bauer, the CEO of thread wallets. And we were talking about this because we went to some pro combines together and we were talking about these moments that we had to make decisions. And, and he was much more recruited than I was. I mean, he had some really great opportunities and, uh, he kind of had these moments where he realized, you know, I, I need to do something else. Um, and for him, he got injured at a combine when he was on the he was on the number one team, and they were getting all this. I mean, scouts were lining the field, and he got injured in the game. He scored two goals and had had an assist, um, you know, in front of all these scouts. And he he wasn't upset that mm. he <laughs> rolled his ankle pretty wow you know, badly. He wasn't mad about it. And mm-hmm. to him, it was why am I not mad? Like usually for an athlete, if you get injured at, at a showcase like this, yeah. it's a big deal. He wasn't upset, and I remember him and I spoke that night. Um, you know, when we went back to the place we were staying and, and, uh, you know, for him, that was a pivotal moment for him to realize this other path of pursuing this silly wallet idea, mm. um, which is now, you know, they, they're Inc 5000 list and, mm-hmm. you know, they're, they're one of the fastest current companies. I think they're located in Utah. Mm-hmm. So they're doing really well, but you know, it's that moment for him. And, and I had a similar moment not too long after that, where I had a contract to go play overseas and in front of me and. And I, you know, Kenzie and I, we decided it wasn't the right thing. And that led us to, to, to going to, to Utah. And I started to work with Arbinger for, mm-hmm. uh, you know, to start a new industry for them working right. in athletics. And to some degree it was going well, but it also wasn't. And so mm-hmm. we got to this point where I was like, well, it's not working out. We'll go our separate ways. And I was actually, you reminded me of this too, cause I was actually thinking about law school and thinking mm-hmm. of a few other options and, and, uh, Fortunately, it didn't, it didn't go that way because mm-hmm. it led me back to Arbinger joining their corporate team. And, yeah. you know, I, I pursued a master's degree in, in conflict and negotiation. And, and, uh, and then I met, you know, folks here at Mountain West uh, mm-hmm. as, as a result of working at Arbinger and now I'm here. And so looking back, I'm so glad that I, you know, I'm so glad I didn't go and play overseas because mm-hmm. my life, I'm sure it would have been great, but it yeah. wouldn't have been the same. And I'm really mm-hmm. glad that it's, you know, it's the way it is now. And, and I'm I'm glad that I stayed, you know, at that uh, at, at at Arbinger and and studied the things that I did. And so, so when when you're talking, I'm hearing these moments that I mm-hmm. think are really important to look back upon, especially mm-hmm. when we are in darker times or we're in troubling or hard times. We can reflect upon those positive experiences, those affirming experiences, and right. and allow it to be a you know a source of motivation. A, mm-hmm. You know. A, as something that you always say um, when you're with groups, a bright spot mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. In, in our life. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, it's important, I think, to notice bright spots day to day, but mm-hmm. there's these bigger bright spots yeah. that uh, I think are important to, to remember. And, and that's in addition to the sure. the main ones for me of birth of children, you're marriage, right. things yeah. like that. But yeah. Yeah. There's these other moments that I think are pivotal for us that are important to, mm-hmm. to identify. Absolutely. And 
I, I appreciate that perspective too, because you're calling out, I think one of the central, uh, elements or mindsets that it's that that is associated with seeing possibility in unexpected life circumstances or um being open to something that wasn't on the five-year three to five-year plan and that's just that's an essential i think curiosity um and and curiosity requires like uh, requires attention and awareness and openness yeah um and a level of surrender that honors how much, how little control we actually have over, you know, things in our world. Uh, so that contemplative capacity gives us the chance to see what might be next on the path. That contemplative capacity, you know, essentially sets our perspective aside and takes the perspective of others, weaves those together, and then lets it, lets it be and lets it sit there and, and really work with that um reflection on our deepest core values what do we truly want in life yeah how how do we want to be remembered um is what i'm doing right now getting me what i want mm-hmm. and i and if the world could increase that level of contemplative practice whether it be in a faith-based tradition or it be you know from a mindfulness perspective and neuroscience perspective or be any of those can you imagine how many more loving, compassionate decisions might be made? What the cumulative impact of people really pausing for a moment to decide is what I'm doing right now in in the best interest of everyone. Um, and so I, I, I really appreciate you calling out just that openness and that awareness and that contemplative practice that's associated with seeing, yeah, this isn't what I planned and it may not have been what I expected, but it's what I've got. And it, that opens other doors to new bright spots. Cause you don't play in bright spots. Yeah. Bright spots naturally present themselves as a function of your day-to-day existence of showing up and being present and seeing others as, you know, inherently worthy and, mm-hmm. uh, 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 and dignified and just their capacity to be present to the world. You know, I made a note before, um, came in, just a note that says bright spots because I wanted to talk a little bit about it. I'm glad that it kind of organically came up, but mm-hmm. if we can just spend a couple minutes on that, you know, of, of why you, you know, why you decided to use that language. Cause I've heard you in several settings use it, you know, turn to your neighbor, share a bright spot from the last week. And, and I've, I've stolen it from you and used mm-hmm. it in, in several settings and it tends to go really well. I don't know if it's the language, you know, the actual mm-hmm. terminology of bright spot, but it's something that it reminds me of, um, and you know, part of my master's thesis and and just personal interest, I, I, I love storytelling, um, and I'm constantly trying to identify and think of stories in my my life that I can share, and I try to analyze them and index them so that I know when and why I would share them. And there's these, uh, I can't remember who said it. I was listening to a podcast or something once upon a time, and and the the individual speaking was talking about how every day if we can notice these five second moments in our life throughout our day that's how we start to identify stories you know because all of us have a story to share and we have many stories to share but you know an unanalyzed story isn't worth sharing we have to analyze it and know why it was mm-hmm. important to us and why mm-hmm. we would share it mm-hmm. but he, he he talked about these five second moments you know if you could make a practice every day just take out a journal a notepad whatever and start to remember 
what five second moments did you have today? And, and when he's talking about five second moments and the way I interpret it is these moments of transformation, like yeah. even if it's small, yeah. even if it's noticing, you know, just the other day driving home and, and the sun was coming through my window in the car and it was just the trees were around. It was just a beautiful setting. And I had this moment of appreciation, you know, this simple five second moment of appreciation, whether it's that or it's something more profound, you know, mm -hmm. like something drastic happens mm -hmm. or, mm -hmm. or you mend a relationship or, you know, but there's these five second moments. I, when I think of those, I, I, I can't help but think of bright spots. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's been extremely beneficial for me identifying those. And I have a, a huge list on my phone mm -hmm. of what I call index stories of my own, of stories that I hear from other people. Mm -hmm. I even have a couple of your stories that mm -hmm. I've heard that I just index, you know, because mm -hmm. I mm -hmm. there was a moment that I felt something yeah. and I want to make note of it. I want to, you know, remember it. Um, but I have a list of tons of stories. And when it comes to me presenting or speaking or whatever, I, I go through there. Uh, if I'm teaching or what, whatever the case is, I'll go through that and kind of find one of those stories, one of those bright spots for me, those five second moments, mm -hmm. you know, to, to, to add to or create some content around. Mm -hmm. But that's a long winded uh, explanation of why yeah, I, I was yeah. asking you the original question of where did mm -hmm. that, that come from? Why do you choose that language? Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I appreciate that. And, you know, I, th I think any of any kind of practice and i like that you use that language around practice because um you know the emphasis because it's most saleable to people is like the big moment the big splash the amazing breakthrough and and those those are those are wonderful but they tend to happen as accumulation of some small bright yeah. spots or five second moments um and the practice itself increases the likelihood of those happening but i like that you say practice because it it invokes that sense of building capacity like yeah. you would with a muscle um, that it, it is naturally attuned to, to do a certain thing or a certain movement or be capable of a certain lift uh, that that, is, that 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 principle also applies to, you know, to our brains mm -hmm. and how we focus our time and our attention. Now, the, the challenge there is our brains are naturally wired to focus on that which is negative in the environment. And that's just that's a that from an evolutionary perspective, that's just a function of bandwidth yeah. that, you know, when there are immediate threats to your survival and your lifespan is, you know, on average, 24 to 26 years old, you don't have the capacity to sit back and reflect because, yeah. you know, it, it, your life depends on it. Mm -hmm. So that was good for you know thousands of years ago for now we're still dealing with the same kind of wetware in our in our brains that are still naturally more attuned to that which isn't working mm -hmm. and it tends to get people stuck it makes it difficult to see possibilities it tends to rupture relationships it tends to disconnect our disconnect us from our best selves and each other so that's kind of the the neurological perspective of where it comes from but it also comes from my own personal experience um, in, uh, you know, struggling with a d depression mm -hmm. um, and so th that being something that, uh, as a family legacy of depression, which attunes you to kind of some of the, sh the, the harder things in life. You can't help but pay attention to them. And so when you have the capacity to see alternatives to suffering or alternatives to hard things or alternatives to kind of that, that fog of where's the joy uh, it really helps you hyper-focus on what is good or what is right and what is true in the world. So, you know, again, this is, this is a, a mentor and a couple coaches and a therapist who helped me attune to that. And they didn't do anything specific 
uh, I think in terms of a technique to help me orient it. It was just their mindset and their outlook in, in the world. Uh, and so when I have looked for different language around that, when I started teaching at Oregon State um, about 13 years ago, um, I really, really like uh, Chip and Dan Heath's work. You know, one of their first books was Switch, or excuse me, uh, How to Make uh, Made to Stick, uh, how Switch, How to Change When Change is Hard. And then they do one about a decision making and upstream, lots of different, but they use the language bright spots when it really comes from um, solution focused therapy finding exceptions to the rule. And if the rule tends to be something that's not working or something that's broken or a perspective that isn't in alignment with um, optimism or possibility, then, you know, you need to find an exception to that. And the language they use is bright spot because oftentimes people think they need to go back to like, they need to go to square one or clean, you know, clear this, start with a clean slate to build something new. And oftentimes there are solutions in front of us, right in the environment, things that people are already doing well, things that you've already attuned to that can help you solve your own problems. So that practice of focusing on the bright spots is as much as about getting an accurate perception of what's actually happening in the world. Uh, and then positioning yourself to, um, stay afloat in, in a world that has lots of slings and arrows coming your way and then giving people something simple to integrate into their lives. Um, and again, be authors of their own solutions to their own challenges. Um, and know that they're not alone, that other people are struggling, but that you can change perspective and that that in and of itself can have a physiological impact on your body, but also just your sense of joy in the world. Yeah. And so that, I, I think that's, um, you know, kind of the origin for me. And I've just kept saying it over and over again. It's that repetitive piece, that yeah. practice that, you know, you know, I didn't set out to like try to get people to say bright spots all the time, <laughs> you know, or some people call them like peaks and valleys, you know, there's all yeah. kinds of different language for it. But I do think that's a critical component, especially right now. Yeah. In this time of great uncertainty or of disorder. Interestingly, disorder is generally followed by reorder. Mm -hmm. So there's some hope there. But it, during this time, we have to be able to hold that space and acknowledge that today you know, I got to sit down right now with a friend and have a conversation. The sunshine is out today. Um, I have my basic needs taken care of. Yeah. Um, chance encounters lead to great relationships that intend to enhance our own life outcomes. Um, and so when I sh share that information sometimes with educators right now in particular, and I help them orient towards what's, what's, what's good, um, even in a, in a world of distance learning and challenges just kind of navigating the state of the world and asking questions can you tell me of a, about a bright spot this last week and a teacher sits there and, and and you know through that virtual screen and she gets teary and 30 seconds later says you know what um on tuesday a student stopped put their hand up came on the screen because they usually have their camera off. And this is a third grader mm -hmm. said, this is really hard teacher. I don't know how to do this very well, but I want you to know that you're still the best part of my day. So think about how that wow. can change the trajectory of someone's life in that moment. And it's a simple question. Um, yes, it's still hard. Yes. You still have concerns about your community. Yes. There is the geopolitical impact and influence swirling around us. And in that moment as a child who depends on the adults in the world to model what it looks like to move through crisis, 
that child still needs us and they still need us to be present to them. Um, and that, and they need us to acknowledge what's still good. And we need to be open to them teaching us that what we're doing matters. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. That was, um, a lot more than, you know, I could have ever hoped for, uh, just in, in, in content and, and knowledge there. I appreciate you sharing that, especially mm-hmm. that story there at the end. Um, when you were talking, I, I, you know, I was reminded of, of a few things um, that I wanted to, to point out. And, you know, given that this is a leadership podcast, mm-hmm. I believe everything that we're discussing has a direct correlation to, to leadership. Um, but I was thinking about, you know, when you mentioned um, that oftentimes solutions are right in front of us, you know, in, in some of my, my background and, and what I've done in conflict and working with people you know, doing mediation and, and whether it's a group of people or individuals, um, professionally or personally, um, that's something I usually try to zero in on with them is the solution is usually across the table from you, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, if we're, if we're meeting and, and they're right there, they're sitting next to you. Um, and it's interesting because, and I speak from experience because we've all been in conflict. I've been in conflict many times. Um, and in fact, in fact, I think I was so drawn to studying conflict because it plagued my life, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and I, and I, and I finally saw some sort of, uh, you know, glimmer of hope that there was something that I could do mm-hmm. about the conflict that I usually caused myself, but mm-hmm. that was around me. Um, and that's one of those pieces is that the solution is, you know, is right there. Um, I just have to be able to, to see it. Mm-hmm. And there's gotta be something psychologically that, inhibits us from being able to see mm-hmm. that the solution's right there because a third party can come in and be like, it's right there, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, at the Arbinger Institute, they talk about self-deception obviously as being, you know, a, a reason there, you know, and, and denying that we have a problem and we don't like anybody else telling mm-hmm. us that we have a problem. We don't see it. And so we end up running around in circles. Um, but the other thing that I thought of, just as you were explaining this, uh, you know, this expounding on this idea of bright spots, there's this activity that I, I do with folks and it's a tool that Arbinger has. Um, and I've done it before with people, but they put a name to it that just makes it easier to remember. They call it imagine if I were outward. Mm -hmm. Um, and I really like it. And and I've actually done it most with youth. Um, and my wife and I coach quite a bit, so I do it a lot with our athletes, but it's really simple. You know, I draw out on a piece of paper, this big square, you know, and I start, and then I draw two stick figures next to the square, one on top, mm-hmm. one on the bottom. Mm-hmm. And I say, look, I want to talk about two versions of you. But first, mm-hmm. before we talk about those two versions of you, let's talk about what's in this square. And I mm-hmm. title it life. This is life. Mm-hmm. You know, and I start asking them, what, what, what are things that just happen in life that we usually don't have control over? Mm-hmm. Sometimes we do, but they just happen. Mm-hmm. You know, we have friends, we have family members, money, you know, all, and they just start listing off everything that's going on. And if, if I'm with, I'm, if I'm with athletes, I make it specifically more about their life as an athlete and as in, in sports. But in general, we usually gather this big list and that box is filled with all these things that happen in life. And then we start to circle, what are the things that you can't change? Mm-hmm. You know, and mm-hmm. to circle all of them. And mm-hmm. Usually the list is very full of things that they can't change. Yep. Um, and then I go back to those two stick figures and I say, okay, well, look, this version of you up here, you know, Arbinger calls it inward mindset. Mm-hmm. You know, this version of you uh, allows all of those things to dictate how you feel, you know, uh, what you what you think um, uh, and, and how you react to things. All of that's in control, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then this other version of you, you know, we would call it, at Arbinger, we call it the outward mindset version of you, mm-hmm. um, doesn't 
allow all of that. Yep. <laughs> and, mm -hmm. and, it'll, and, and so the question that we ask is, imagine if you were this way. Yeah. What would change? You know, what would change in this square? What would change in your perspective? What would change in your in your in your life and in your and how you feel and how you respond and how you react? And um, I found in doing that exercise with with people in general, but specifically kids, you know, it's like this light bulb clicks. Mm -hmm. And um, you know, there's whatever blockade is there of 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 us as human beings that can't see those things initially, mm -hmm. and so mm -hmm. that starts to fall down a little bit. Yeah. And we start to see that, well, well, I, I, I do have a little bit more control than I, than I thought I did. I can't change mm -hmm. my life situation. I can't change, you know, my family dynamics or whatever it is that is causing them grief or pain, but I can change my perspective, yeah. you know, on it. Yeah. Um, and that, that's harder for some people, obviously, than it is for others, depending on those life situations. But my experience has been that some of the greatest stories in our history and text and writing have been people that have been dealt the worst cards yep. that they can be dealt, but they chose to have a different perspective on it. Um, and we learn so incredibly much from those stories and from those people um, because they were able to get to that place, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. uh, to imagine, you know, to see their life in a different way, like you were mentioning earlier, um, and understanding what they really want um, and, and letting that influence how they, you know, how they react and how they, how they feel. Mm -hmm. um, so I couldn't help but, but think of that, uh, mm -hmm. that tool and that mm -hmm. example as you were talking. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's incredibly powerful. It's one of the reasons all of the, these different ways of thinking about things and uh, have kind of influenced um, one of the reasons why I, you know, I, I, I mentioned to you, you know, I'm in my PhD right now yeah. in psychology and, mm -hmm. and uh, uh, I think a lot of this is rooted in in that and you know in the mm -hmm. mind and mm -hmm. and in uh, human beings and, and their behavior with one another and how they think so yeah yeah absolutely well you think about that again it's see that's a bright spot having that interaction or that practice with with those students that one caring enough to develop a relationship and see them for who they are not as who you think they might become or who they've been but who they are right there giving them a, uh, an opportunity to reflect on those things and they don't do that unless they trust you and you have a relationship with them. So that's a bright spot that that, that those students even have that opportunity to do that. And so many kids don't get that. So, so that's, that's the thing I think about from a, um, from an imagine if standpoint to kind of use some of the language that you're, that you're alluding to there is, can you imagine if as a culture, we, looked at opportunities like that for youth to connect and learn from each other and learn from elders within the community to use, you know, that language. And they said that that's just as important, if not the most important thing, um, even more so than academic achievement or yeah. what your GPA is or what school you get into or what your career path is or what network you're plugged into or what your SES is. And what if we, we prioritize that not as like, if there's time or twice a year, but really made it part of our cultural practice. You know, many of the things that vex us and, you know, keep us up at night and, and, and cause ruptures in our relationships are, can oftentimes be tied back to not having time to truly initiate, form, nurture, and repair our relationships with each other. And like, it's only as an as needed. Mm -hmm. And if that is our center of gravity around that, then we have a really long way to go. And I think we do, but circling back around to the idea of exceptions or bright spots, choosing 
easy practices done intentionally on a consistent basis in small doses over time starts to create healing within a culture that where more people, students, I mean, from age, you know, nine months to 99 are able to see some possibilities because they feel a sense of belonging. They feel a sense of purpose. They feel valued. They feel seen and they feel heard. And when you have a greater percentage of people that experience that, some really amazing things start to happen. And we only see it usually on a small scale, but can you imagine if just, if a few more people did this a little bit more often, might we be in a better space than we are right now? Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. I'm hearing a lot. um, What comes to mind is, you know, building relationships um, and having healthy relationships in our, in our life, both personally and professionally. Um, And building relationships in general is, you know, and part of our leadership Institute in our rooted leadership framework, we talk a lot about soil, um, Mm -hmm. soil being Mm -hmm. the people and, Mm -hmm. and the mindset and, and, you know, indicators become culture and climate within an organization, but soil at its, at its root, the way it's cultivated is they're seeing people as people. And we even talk Mm -hmm. about deeply seeing people as people, Mm -hmm. but all of it is manifested through how we go about behaviorally building our relationships Mm -hmm. um, to some degree. So we talk quite a bit about it. And I think the idea of building relationships is an important quality that leaders need to have. But Mm -hmm. um, I mean, how, how important do you believe that is when it comes to leadership? And you can take it beyond Mm -hmm. leadership if you Mm -hmm. want to, but Mm -hmm. you've already spoke to it. um, But specifically this idea of building um, and maintaining and having positive, healthy relationships in our inner circle as well as beyond that. Yeah. I would argue that if that doesn't anchor your work as a leader, either self-describe or someone assigns you that label, then you're not ready to lead. Um, from a technical level, you can be a project manager and get a discrete task done. Mm. And that, that there are, there's an important place and time for that, but that, needs to happen within a con broader context of community where a servant leader or whatever kind of language you might want to use around that, where a leader sees their job as nurturing the capacities and others of, uh, helping develop a shared vision and, uh, of being firm, um, with what the shared agreements are around moving forward on that vision. Um, but also being kind, which is seen, that everyone who's a part of that mission, um, that immediate mission or the broader mission mission within the community um, has value and has something to offer. And when everyone's included, it increases the likelihood that that mission is is, is accomplished. And I'd argue that's not the end of the road. That's more of an, a, a, a practice or a cultural value that um, just bakes that relationship building and nurturing and repair into an organization uh so where how does that how does that what gets in the way of of that um i would argue that an achievement oriented culture gets in the way of that because Mm -hmm. it focuses on the individual's need or the leader's need and if there are multiple competing interests and high levels of pressure and one's position as a leadership depends on delivering a specific outcome and the event horizon is not long enough to actually achieve that and nurture the people in the community or on the team, then it simply reinforces that outcome driven goal 
that accomplishes something or a specific task, but it leaves people behind. It leaves people disenfranchised and ultimately down the road leads to a level of, um, you know, undermine sustainability. So I think that's a cultural ethos that we need to be mindful of. Um, that's kind of that more that performance leader model, um, as a force to, as opposed to like a process yeah. leader model. Um, so again, I, I'll, I, dancing around that issue, coming back to around to it, the relationship is central. And, and that starts with having a relationship with yourself and having enough self-awareness, um, and in, in tr- intrinsic motivation uh, and vul- willingness to be vulnerable with the people around you to set the stage or nurture the soil in which those relationships can take root. Yeah. I'm, I'm really interested in your perspective on this piece of our content. It has to do with everything we're talking about. Um, in our uh, soil section of our uh, curriculum, you know, I explained briefly what soil is, but we have this, when we talk about cultivating it, you know, there's three levels. We first talk about accountability, which we say breaking up the soil. We have to be willing to be accountable to ourselves first as leaders. And we have to be willing to be the first to change as leaders. That's kind of what that section is about. And then we talk about seeing people as people. And that's very much, you know, people tend to get that and resonate with what it means. There's tons of people throughout history that have talked about that importance of of seeing people as people, but then we take it a step further and the lowest part, the deepest level of our soil, which we say digging deeper is um, deeply seeing people. Mm. And it takes this idea from seeing people as people to where, okay, you have a need and I, maybe I can help, maybe mm-hmm. I can't, mm-hmm. you're a person like me. You know, that's that's fantastic, but mm-hmm. there's this deeper component that we talk about and, mm-hmm. and, and it's taking it to this level of seeing another as beloved, seeing mm, somebody mm-hmm. as worthy of your love and not mm-hmm. like a romantic friendship mm-hmm. sort of easy love, but mm-hmm. you know, as my friend Chad Ford says, a dangerous love. It's, yes. it's a hard love. Are you willing yes. to love people mm-hmm. and deeply see them, especially when it's hard? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. When they irritate you, when they bother you, and so mm-hmm. on. And then are we willing to be able to see at that deep level? And 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 I found that in order to deeply see people as people, it requires me to live life at a deeper way, in a right. deeper, more meaningful way, where mm-hmm. I'm willing to be vulnerable. Uh, you know, I'm I'm willing to to reflect upon my own life and my own flaws. But we in this section, and this is what I want to get your thoughts on. Mm-hmm. We have four steps uh, to deeply seeing, and it's hard to put steps to something that's that you know sure. that heavy of deeply seeing others. But this is what we we call them, and mm-hmm. and we built upon. Um, the Aspen Institute's uh, components to what they found about weavers. They call right. them weavers. Yeah. I don't know if you've heard yeah. of that. Mm-hmm. Um, this is, you know, these are the steps that we've we've identified. And the first one is being rooted in. Mm. Um, and what we mean by that is knowing your why. You know, yeah. like if you want to deeply see others, you first need to know your why. Mm-hmm. You need to know what wakes you up in the morning and why you do what you do, mm-hmm. why you believe what you believe. And it should be so deeply ingrained that it doesn't matter mm-hmm. what you do for a profession. It's mm-hmm. the same. You know, it doesn't mm-hmm. matter if you're a janitor, mm-hmm. a bus driver, an attorney, a doctor, it doesn't matter that your why yeah. is the same. Yeah. Um, and so that's step number one. And mm-hmm. then this, the second step is to dare to explore social space. Yeah. So be willing to, to be uncomfortable, you know, uh, be comfortable being uncomfortable, basically, you know, be mm-hmm. willing to go outside of yourself and, and get to know, environments cultures and people that maybe you don't 
fully understand or you don't agree with, yeah. but dare to explore that social space. Yeah. And then the third is um, be emotionally transparent. Mm-hmm. And what we don't mean is wear your emotions on your sleeve right. and be full, fully emotional all the time. But what we what we're trying to get at is know what holds you back as a leader yeah. and do something about it. Like mm-hmm. really know what holds you back emotionally and then face it. Yeah. Uh, don't run from your inadequacies. Don't run from your fears, but face them head on. Yeah. And then the the fourth and final step, which I think is, it's the most, it's the one that's taught me the most mm-hmm. and it's use your suffering well. Mm-hmm. Um, and we talk about this idea of, you know, there's a difference between suffering well and, and obviously not suffering yeah. well. Yeah. And, and it gets to this point of, you know, when we suffer, we can let it break us yeah. where we we just fall apart. Mm-hmm. Um, we hit rock bottom, you know, everything goes, goes wrong. Um, and my perspective of it is really hopeless. Yeah. And there's a difference between breaking versus breaking open, mm-hmm. um, where breaking open has a sense of, of vulnerability, has mm-hmm. a sense of mm-hmm. um, compassion, of empathy that comes with it, of understanding, mm-hmm. um, of humility. Um, and so when we talk about using our suffering well, that's what we mean is mm-hmm. allow, we're all going to suffer. Everybody's mm-hmm. going to suffer, but instead of letting it break us, let it break us open. Mm-hmm. Um, and when we can start to use our suffering in that manner, um, it, again, it helps us live life at this deeper level, yep. which helps us in turn deeply see others around us. Yeah. Um, and that out of our whole entire curriculum, um, those four steps are probably the things that I think most about. Mm-hmm. Um, and they come up the most in conversations. Um, I find myself leaning into them yep. um, more often than other concepts in our curriculum mm-hmm. um, and in our leadership framework. But I feel like those steps are relevant to things we're talking about. I wanted yeah. to get your thoughts on them. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and, and you, again, you, you reinforce the message around what do we have control over? What don't we have control over? And what you're, what you're alluding to is it's, it starts with us. That's, that's where we have the greatest level of control and influence. Yeah. Uh, and so often people start with others and that's, again, we're, we're kind of neurologically wired to focus on that because we don't see ourselves as a problem. The threats come from outside of us in the environment. But what we know now is that most of the things that hold us back are things inside of us. And that's the luxury of living, you know, having a lifespan of 78, 80 years is you have time to think about those things, but you don't have a lot of practices built into the culture yet that tend to nurture it. So you default to that. You have the default zone, which is everybody else's fault. Um, You know, if, if uh, people only did X, Y, and Z, um, and if we only had time for A, B, and C, then this thing would change. Um. And that's okay. It, you you got to call it out and you got to acknowledge it, but that's not dissimilar to what you're saying is what's your why you got to have an awareness around what that is and be clear on it. Um, another way, you know, I'll talk about that very same concept is, you know, starts with wake up, grow up, clean up, show up. Okay. So, uh, and it could, that, a lot of that comes from like, uh, integral theory, um, some, some from spiral dynamic, but it also is kind of baked into positive psychology and developmental psychology. And that wake up piece is that waking up to the idea that you are in control of you and you need to get clear on what it is that's most important to you because, you know, when it's all said and done, you don't have anybody else to blame but yourself. Uh So 
that also requires that deep reflection, as you mentioned, on yourself and your own vulnerabilities and your own failings. And I think, you know, it's, it's, it's worth highlighting as we talk about this, that you know, I think we're talking about this at a theoretical level, which is important, but we're also talking about it at a personal level mm-hmm. is that I fail at this miserably like daily, weekly. I let down the people I care most about in my life on a regular basis mm-hmm. um, of what I aspire to, to be in their lives and what I aspire to, to be as, as a person. Um, and uh, you know, that, that, that causes some level of cognitive dissonance sometimes, yeah. but not being who I want to be or who I think I am. Yeah. Right. But, but it's, but it, what's interesting is because it's so, it's so new, I think on a broader scale for us to be vulnerable with each other that well, now that we're acknowledging that we rupture relationships, we, we, we quote, fail to measure up in so many different ways that we, we feel uneasy about it yeah. and we feel guilty about it, which distracts us from kind of leaning into that vulnerability and just holding the space and being okay with our own frailty, our own vulnerability, our, which is actually to make ourselves available to, as you mentioned, to be, to be broken open. Yeah. And so that starts with that level of awareness. That's just waking up to it. And then, you know, the growing up part, which is like, what do I, how do I build skills, surround myself with people, practice over time, put effort into things because none of this happens without effort um, to really grow both as an individual and then in my own community. And there's that third critical piece. And, and, and I think you're alluding to this too, which is, is cleaning up, which is going into that deep soil. And where I see, and personally, I, I mean, I, I had a, uh, my wife the other day, I like, I was irritable and I was struggling with something and I projected my own irritability onto her and personalized something. I'd left the uh, gas fireplace on and, and, you know, we had talked about that. That's not like economical and, you know, and I got defensive about it. That's about me. Uh So, you know, we've got to kind of have our, our own ownership around these particular challenges first and be aware of this really important piece the difference between clean pain and dirty pain Mm -hmm. clean pain and dirty pain so clean pain is i'm gonna i'm willing to take a hard look at myself i'm willing to invite feedback from people i care about and respect and i'm willing to really soak that up and reflect on it and make some commitments to do better yeah uh, I'm willing to catch myself. I'm inviting people to hold me accountable. And that's not just so I'm going to, it's also holding me capable. Clean pain is what we need to work through to grow, to become our better selves on an individual level, but also on a cultural level. Dirty pain, on the other hand, which is, I think is what is prevalent and one of the biggest barriers that we experience right now and what crisis tends to accelerate is I see, I'm going to work out my own struggles and my own suffering on you. And I don't have a level of awareness because it's so threatening and it feels like it just might annihilate my very core of my being to even consider the fact that I'm frail, that I failed, that I made mistakes, that I'm not measuring up, that that is, feels like such a threat to one's being that everybody else is the problem. And so, you know, people's, um, lashing out in anger at others is an extension of their own pain. That's working through that's dirty pain. Uh, I think some of the, when we talk about structural racism and those different things that kind of tend to be toxic to our entire community, uh, are rooted in dirty pain. Because when you look, pain is universal. Suffering is universal. When you look at it from the perspective of we can face this together, we can own it without being, you know, vilified or judged. Yeah. 
then we can work through it together and get to the other side of it better, healthier, more whole on an individual level, but also on a collective level. Um, and so I, 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 I resonate deeply with this model that you're describing because it gives us the greatest chance to make an evolutionary leap forward in our own cognitive and spiritual development that this idea of what do we hope for, like this imagine if where we are now and imagine where we'd like to be, yeah. that's the path, that's the practice. And so I appreciate that, that you resonate with that because I think it really is the core of, of this work. Yeah. And there's a lot packed in there uh, with your remarks. Um, but you know, something we, we talk about is, is leadership. It's not for everybody and it's not for the faint of heart. I mean, it's hard, you know, and these principles that we're talking about are, are universal. I mean, people should, you know, it's, it's good for anybody to really try to live by these things, but it's imperative for leaders. I mean, it's our job almost, right? I mean, we, we, we shouldn't mm -hmm. be leaders to, mm -hmm. to, to try to, to, to do these things. We need to do these things. Um, mm -hmm. And um, it's, it's, it's a standard that we have to, to live by. And, mm -hmm. and that's not perfection because part of this standard is, are we willing to be okay with our mistakes? And, yeah. Yeah. And so living the, living that standard is just being open and vulnerable with our right. flaws right. and not trying to run from them. Yeah. Um, and so it's, you know, for, for leaders specifically, um, you know, and you said you're not ready to lead if, if, if you don't, if you're not ready to build relationships and have, you know, healthy, positive relationships, you know, these, these principles that we're talking about, I think are so, you know, imperative to, mm -hmm. to leadership, which is why it's, you know, when we talk about soil as a mm -hmm. metaphor, that's what we're really getting at. Mm -hmm. It's, it's mm -hmm. everything that we've been discussing and, and as a absolute vital part of, of leadership. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, can I give you an example, kind Please. of just like like a personal example that how I've you know had to kind of work through my own clean pain, um, and how it's shown up. I I hope from a leadership perspective, you know, I, I I think when we first started this conversation, I kind of alluded to kind of like where I was coming from and what was a pivotal moment for me choosing this, you know, yeah. some constellation of this line of work, and. You know, I was still kind of stuck under the illusion that leadership or a successful life looked a certain way. Yeah. Um, and if I simply mimicked or mirrored the formula, then that would equal success. And I think that the, that's really prevalent, you know, in our culture too. And if you don't have the privilege of seeing alternatives to that or people who are deeply vulnerable and competent and caring and strong, um, then you're kind of on your own to figure it out. So one of the things that I, it was a struggle for me in particular role as a helper and as a leader and as a teacher is I felt like there always needed to be like a very firm barrier between me and student or between me and family or between me and whoever I'm helping. Um, and, and what I, what I later realized is I was putting on a bit of a front that gave the perception that I had it all figured out. Now I didn't believe that internally. I knew I didn't. Yeah. But while I was still kind of be well, I was still kind of not ready to work through that pain, I needed to put up that front to be okay. And what I started to realize is that actually disconnected me from people. It protected me in that moment individually, but it also left me somewhat isolated. Mm -hmm. It didn't mean I couldn't do good work or I couldn't help people, but it it inherently limited 
the extent to which I could be of service. So, you know, after like the second time I burned out of a job, that's one I'm currently in being one of them. I had to take a long, hard look at myself at how I was showing up in the world. Um, and when my niece, who's now 11, was born, I, that, that, that gave me an, another opportunity to really reflect on what my life path looked like. Yeah. And I decided a couple of things there. One is I don't want to model for my niece what being a martyr or being a workaholic looks like or just trying to look like you've got it all together as a coping strategy for you know these areas of our lives where we feel inadequate. I don't want to do that. So if I don't want to do that, how am I going to be different in the world? How am I going to take full responsibility for it? So what I started to do, and this was terrifying for me, Chris, um, on many different levels, because when you start to kind of, you know, Brene Brown uses the language of armor. When you start to kind of take some of that armor off and you feel completely exposed, you feel like you could possibly just be completely annihilated. It's scary. Very scary. Mm -hmm. And so what I started to do was share my story and my own struggle in the context of the work, you know, and again, that's important from a boundary perspective that you're sharing it for a purpose yeah. as opposed to like you mentioned, kind of like just wearing your emotions on your sleeve and trusting all your feelings and throwing them out there. That's really my, that would be, that's more about an individual than it is about being of service. Yeah. So when I started sharing like what I struggled with and what I had learned, I started to notice people pay more attention Yeah. and I started to feel like, I see a few more heads nod and I wasn't doing it to try to get head nods. I was trying to be uh, transparent with what my experience was as a leader or a teacher or whatever, um, as a way to continue doing my own work, but trying to show up in the world the way I would hope other people would join me in showing up. Yeah. Um, and that it's still terrifying for me to do that on occasion, less so. Uh, I am less likely to Monday Monday morning quarterback myself after each interaction or performance or presentation or teaching or or teaching session or a podcast conversation with a friend. Yeah, I'll still reflect. My brain's wired to do that, but I'm less likely to beat myself up and move into that place of dirty pain and just own who I am. Um, And I feel like that gives me a greater capacity to be of service to others, um, to try to model what I would hope for. And to be open to learning in some of those areas, I still need to grow and develop as a person, but also as a leader. Yeah. I mean, that's and so much of that resonates with me and just my personal beliefs on um, whether we call it using our suffering well, mm-hmm. you know, telling stories and why we would even tell them to teaching to, you know, um, uh, so many other things. But I first want to say I love this idea of dirty pain and, and, and clean pain makes a lot of sense sense to me but uh you know as you're i i i believe that i try to live life similarly Mm -hmm. i'm full of flaws and i make mistakes all the time um and i even have a joke now with myself (laughs) you know well that experience sucked and i totally made the wrong choices there and i blew it you know whether Mm -hmm. it's a Mm -hmm. silly argument with my wife or whatever yeah yeah. i always joke with myself after well at least i have a story now (laughs) yeah 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 (laughs) at least i have a story Uh to share Uh uh-huh uh, but my first experience with this, it's interesting because I've just been reflecting on this um, and putting together a, an online course on storytelling. And in mm. my first lecture, I, I share this story. So it's fresh on my mind, but it has so much to do with what, what you're saying. Mm-hmm. You know, the first time that I heard somebody share a story that was impactful to me mm-hmm. um, and, and influenced me to want to change and want to be better. Yeah. It couldn't have come at a better time in, in my in my life, but it wasn't a story about somebody's 
glamour and success and and you know how wonderful they were it was a mm-hmm. story about somebody suffering in their their pain mm-hmm. and it somehow reached into my heart yeah. and helped me see all of that in myself and stop running from it and mm-hmm. at the time you know I was freshman in college and 18 years old and I had a really plaguing addiction at the time that was yeah. just so consuming in my mm-hmm. life and mm-hmm. and part of me going away to college completely going across the ocean to Hawaii was mm-hmm. just to get away so I could actually yep. you know deal with this yep. and I had no idea how um but you know I, I went to this seminar this workshop and um uh Chad Ford was the yeah. instructor at yeah. the time and I didn't know who he was and I had to go for a class. I was upset because I had to write a paper on it. <laughs> it was eight hours long. Uh-huh, you know? uh-huh. um, it was an Arbinger workshop, but that's beside the point. That's not why it was so impactful to me. Um, it was uh, it was a story that that Chad shared at the end. But you know, I show up in this massive room mm-hmm. there. I don't want to be there. I had to pay money to be there. <laughs> yeah. Again, like I said, write a paper <laughs> on it. So he's handing out these handbooks, and I look at it, and I'm thinking, mm-hmm. I'll I'll get just enough from this so I can write a paper. Right. Right. <laughs> But the day starts, and every time we took a break, I'd come back a little closer and closer to the front mm-hmm. of the room, and I didn't know why. I just was like, you know, I'd find myself kind of getting closer and closer, and mm-hmm. by the end of the day, I'm on the front row, and I'm leaning forward. Like, I'm I'm as far away from, like yeah. I am to you right now. Yeah. I was like feet away from Chad. Yeah. Didn't know who he was, but he's sharing this story about mm-hmm. um, this torn, broken relationship with his dad and how... Yeah. You know, he resented his father and there was just, you know, so much in it. But then this moment where mm. everything began to change for him and and how that began to change, not just his relationship with his dad, but everything. Yeah. And in that moment, I remember, you know, thinking a couple of things. The first thing I thought was, I want to do this. And I didn't yeah. know what this meant. I sure. just meant, mm-hmm. however Chad is in this scenario, yep. being able to do this, I want to do that one. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but then the other thing was more transformative. It was... There was a sense of free freedom that I felt for myself of, mm-hmm. you know, in a couple of ways. The first thought that came to mind was I had never asked the question of myself of what it must have been like to be my mother, yep. what it must have been like to be my father, what it must have been like to be my siblings, my friends, my coaches. Mm-hmm. I was always concerned with asking the question of yeah. what's, you know, what's it? What's it like to be me? Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And, and that's what dictated my life. And mm-hmm. I never asked what's it? must it have been like to yeah. have a son like me? Mm-hmm. Um, and all the moments that my mom would spend in tears over me that I used to resent and think was silly and right. and stupid, you know, yeah. um, and emotional, mm-hmm. all of a sudden that started to matter to me and mm-hmm. hurt me a little bit. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I had never had that experience before. So I'm sitting there listening to this story, but this is what's going through my mind. Yeah. And then this other part about addiction, I all of a sudden this clarity came to me that, my my escape was always sports you know yeah. it's like when yeah. i'm playing sports like mm-hmm. nothing else matters the addiction doesn't bother me i'm yeah. free from it yeah but all of a sudden i realized that there was moments in my life that weren't about sports that yeah. were more freeing to me mm-hmm. than athletics ever were and it was these moments i could only think of a few sure but it was these moments when i was lost in somebody else's need yeah you know yeah and i was so concerned about somebody else mm-hmm. that the addiction didn't impact me it didn't bother yeah. me yeah. And it was more freeing to me than, than anything else. Mm-hmm. And so that moment, you know, uh, as an 18-year-old was was really transformative for me. Um, a lot of things needed to happen after that um, for me to to really change and to understand what it is I was 
Mm-hmm. And if you were to ask me on the day, I couldn't articulate. Sure. I just articulated. Right, right, right. Of what I felt and what I learned. Yeah. Um, but I know now mm-hmm. with clarity what I learned that day. Mm-hmm. Um, and it started from somebody like what you said that was willing to to be an open book, to take off that armor yep. and to share and, yep. and to be vulnerable. Um, and there's probably people in the room that didn't receive it like I did. Sure. Probably people in the room that didn't impact at all. Right. Maybe they rolled their eyes a little bit. I don't yeah. know. Yeah. But there was, I was in that room. Yeah. Um, and I just recently spoke with Chad. Um, he was a recent guest on our, on our podcast mm-hmm. and we were reflecting on another story, but he shared with me, he said, you never know who's suffering in a room. Yes. You know, you walk yes. into a room, you just, you don't know who's suffering. Right. And if you're in a position to influence, you're in a position to lead, you have to be in tune with that. Some, everybody in the room suffering yeah. and, and what you say, what you do and how you do it mm-hmm. can drastically impact yep. them. Mm-hmm. Um, and stories like the one I shared and several more, obviously, you know, yeah. um, are telling of the truth behind that statement yeah. that people are suffering and that when we're leaders or when we're mm-hmm. a person of influence, mm-hmm. um, we can really make a difference yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, in a positive or a negative manner. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That was a, a moment of breaking open for you. And you were open to it. You presented yourself. You listened to an intuitive sense that you needed space um, from like your day-to-day, week-to-week, month-to-month experience. Uh, and so it's a gift to give yourself the space because you need sometimes a little bit of distance to give yourself the flexibility to kind of let go. Yeah. Um, and so that you had a high level of responsibility in choosing that path. You didn't necessarily know what it was, uh, but because Chad on that day, which it sounds like if that's an ethic or a value or more days than it's not, gave you an opportunity to grow, to be seen, to be heard, to have the trajectory of your life change in dramatic ways that amplified your capacity to be of service to others. And that is, that's the soul of, of the work that we do. And to use the language of analytics, that's a data point. Mm-hmm. And I would argue that data gets misused because it's not ready to acknowledge the soul of that kind of work or of that kind of moment or the importance of, I don't need a guarantee that I'm going to touch three lives when I walk into this room. Mm. My intention is to walk into this room, to show up, to be present, to speak my truth, to be vulnerable, to see others for who they are and let the rest take care of itself. That is what we need on a long scale, a long trajectory to heal and to grow and to weave together communities, organizations, families, individuals who can take care of themselves and each other at the same time, giving room to breathe and grow and have diverse interests and viewpoints to be able to move through those conflicts or relationship ruptures that it's too easy to run away from. Yeah. And wow, you think about a bright spot that that happens. And we know that that happens on a day-to-day basis. And we know that 
for our own well-being and our own integrity, we have to try to continue leaning into that and holding each other capable and accountable to do it. And we have to see it as possible for others too and invite more people into that conversation. Yeah. Um, what a gift. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah. Have you seen, um, have you seen the movie about time? No. With, uh, I can't, I don't know the name of the, the main actor and actress. Mm -hmm. Uh, she's the actress uh, from uh, the notebook. What's her name? Oh, uh, Rachel McAdams. Yes. So she's in there and then Mm -hmm. the actor, I I couldn't tell you his name, but he's the, (laughs) he's one of the commanders in the new star Wars movies. Uh, the, the guy that's always yelling, you know, Uh um, I can't remember his name. He's got red hair, but they're (laughs) they're the main two actors about time. Great, great movie. But essentially he has the ability to go back in time. Yeah. Um, and it's only, you know, the, the men in his family have always had that ability. They can go back mm-hmm. in time, mm-hmm. but only in their life and only, you know, it's, it's only in their life and what they can remember so they can go back and mm-hmm. make changes. Mm-hmm. And so the, the movie's about him and his journey of this mm-hmm. ability to go back in time and trying mm-hmm. to make things right, you know, fixing mm-hmm. the problems that mm-hmm. he, mm-hmm. that he runs into, um, and trying to, you know, live a, live a good life. Yeah. Um, but he, at the end his dad passes away and his dad shares the secret that he discovered mm-hmm. over the years. And his mm-hmm. dad was always this really, you know, stoic figure in the yeah. film, like yeah. always had everything down, like mm-hmm. knew what he was doing. So he's, he's that figure in, in the movie. Yeah. And at the end he asks his, his dad tells him what the secret was. And, and he, the secret is that every day live it, live it like a normal person, mm-hmm. just live it, react to respond to things as they come, you know, let, let, Things happen, disappointment happen, be frustrated, everything. And then at night, relive, go back and relive that whole day. Mm-hmm. But this time, pay attention mm-hmm. to all of the, mm-hmm. the bright spots. Pay mm-hmm. attention. He doesn't use that word language, yeah. but pay yeah. attention to all the little miracles and beauties around you. Mm-hmm. And he said, that's the secret to a happy life. That's what he mm-hmm. tells his son. That's the secret to a happy life. Mm-hmm. And at the very end of the film, because that's almost towards the end that he shares that secret, but at the very end, it ends with him saying, I've actually added another rule onto that mm. um, for my dad, and it's to not go back and live it a second time, but mm. to just do what I would have done the second time, mm. the first time, ah. you know, and be mm-hmm. be in, in, in tune with all of the imperfections of life, all the things that go wrong that you you could easily go back and change with this ability, but you yeah. don't because it's part of the experience, it's part of learning and and part of growing and happiness and frustration and all yeah. everything that comes along with it, but yeah. I couldn't help but think of that movie. Mm-hmm, I recommend mm-hmm. it. Uh, yeah, I think it's yeah. On, I think it's on Netflix. Okay, um, but it's a fantastic film, and and it it speaks to this idea of mm-hmm. of taking control of what we can see and how we choose to see it. Yeah, we can't always control what happens right. in life. Right, but we can. Nobody can ever take away our ability to to see it a certain way. Yeah, um, and that's that's you know that's a a really powerful mm-hmm. um, thing to to grasp and to, mm-hmm. to utilize is that ability of perspective, yeah. mindset, whatever you mm-hmm. want to call it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, now we're, we're running low on time. Yeah. I can keep yeah. talking to you forever. Yeah. Man. yeah. I mean, no, thank you. It's, it's I, I, I love lure, this. It's I a bucket lured, filler. I lured you in here so we could just <laughs> talk for four hours. Yeah. Um, I mean, we're a little over an hour and um, we've got to wrap up soon. Sure. We're definitely going to have to have a Chris Moore part two. Okay. That's all right. Uh, You're on. Yeah. At some, at some point we will for sure. I definitely yeah. want to have you back in here. This has been so fulfilling for me as mm. well. Um, yeah, likewise. Affirming for, you know, things that I want to believe in and, and, mm-hmm. 
and fail that often, but it's been affirming to me that, yeah. you know, and, and lifting for me that I can, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> you know, I, yeah. I can uh, be better. Yeah. Um, and so I needed this. So mm. I, you know, I appreciate you. I wanted to get into to some of your origin story a little more. I know we did it at the beginning. I wanted yeah. to dive into that. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to, to talk to you a little bit about upstream versus downstream. I mean, mm-hmm. there's so many things mm-hmm. that I wanted to discuss with you. Yeah. Um, but as a final, you know, a final question, I, I usually mm-hmm. have a couple of final questions, sure. I give, but I'll just pick one, you know, who's been, you know, one, one person in your life, a, a leadership figure that's, you feel has influenced you the most, you know, and why? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's hard to, it's hard to pick one. Um, but if you, but if I think about what has probably altered the trajectory of my life the most, it was, it was our, the, the counselor that worked with our family. So that's not a traditional quote leadership role, <laughs> but I think what it does is highlights the true, the truth that everyone leads and that we're all leading all the time. Mm-hmm. And the capacity to which we own our, our own stuff, the, our own belief in other, the capacity of other people to heal, change, and grow is the foundation of that leadership or that healing or that learning. So her, again, seeing me for me, believing that my mom's my mom was more than her story of trauma and addiction and, you know, family struggle that my dad was more than his hyper-focus on achievement and, um, rules and interacting and being in the world in a certain way that, you know, my sister and I were different people with our own needs and ways of being in the world and that we had, you know, the right to kind of find our own way and then not needing to fix that in such a short window of time, prescribed window of time. But as you, you know, as you just referenced, being open to what's naturally presented so it can kind of come to the surface, which is like the, I mean, the essence of humanism. Uh, But I would say that, I would say that that she led by embodying um, what it is to be fully human and skilled and humble uh, and hopeful. And that was exactly what I needed uh, during that time. Um, and I hope that I continue to honor that example uh, with my own work and my own growth and try to nurture that capacity in others um, and realize that I will never have it all figured out. Yeah. Um, and that I'll always be learning. Uh, but that there's just such eternal gratitude that there are people like that in the world, that there are people like you doing the work that, that you're doing. Um, and that that gives me hope that we can truly all be better together. Uh, if we choose. Yeah. Thank you, Chris. Uh, you know, in closing, I uh, just want to leave some questions for any any listeners as it pertains to your leadership. Something Chris mentioned um, today was we don't have the cultures out there that support uh, you know our ability to really cultivate everything we've been discussing to to cultivate healthy um, positive relationships to be able to be reflective and vulnerable um, 
in ways that we've been discussing. And so the question I have for any leaders listening is, what are you doing right now to create cultures in your own life and your organization's life to where these sort of conversations um, and discoveries can happen on a regular basis? Mm-hmm. Um, something definitely to, to reflect upon. And, and, and Chris, um, again, I'll say it again. Every time I, every time I talk with you or, or hear you, I, I learn more. I'm on the edge of my seat. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, everything that you say, I just want to learn and ask more questions and, mm-hmm. and, and mm-hmm. say, tell me more about that. Uh, so I, I appreciate you as, um, uh, your, your, your intellect, but I appreciate you as, as a person. Mm-hmm. Um, I always feel like you're authentic and, and genuine. Um, and so even though our interactions are limited, I feel mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. I feel like I am able to see you and that you see me. Um, and so I appreciate that uh, mm-hmm. about you. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's not how everybody is. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, let that be a, something that, that can lift you up. And, mm-hmm. you know, when you feel like you're feeling is, I, I think that you're good at, at that, of mm-hmm. being authentic and genuine and, mm-hmm. and showing up, um, you know, uh, not just physically, but, but mentally and emotionally. And I appreciate that about you mm-hmm. and the work that you do in our, in our community, in our schools, mm-hmm. it's, it's needed. And I wish I could clone you. <laughs> I don't know that I want to inflict that on the world. <laughs> Let's clone you and just get more of you out there doing good work. But, uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, no, I, I appreciate you, man. So yeah. thanks for coming in today and, um, and thanks for your, your time. It's been a gift. Absolutely. Thank you, brother. I appreciate the opportunity to, walk with you and and learn with you um, like we have here today every time awesome all right everyone well uh that's all for today so take care be safe um and have a good one